Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. It's great to have you here today. Kind of chilly out there today. Thanks for venturing in and getting here together. So love having you here. So I got an email a couple weeks ago, and I should have known. I should have considered the source, but he actually had me going for a little while. So uh, the email went like this. I know it's late notice, but a friend of mine has two tickets for the Super Bowl in Minneapolis at the new U.S. Bank Stadium on Sunday, February 4th. They are box seats, and he paid $3,500 per ticket, which includes a ride to and from the airport, lunch, dinner, and a pass to the locker room after the game with the winning team. So what this person didn't realize is that he bought them last year and that it's on the same day as his wedding. So if you're interested, he's looking for someone to take his place. And then you scroll down, and it says this. It's at St. Paul's Church at 3 p.m. Her name is Ashley. She's a good cook. She loves to fish, she loves to hunt, and she'll clean your truck. She'll be the one in the white dress. So, <laughs> whatever. So, it's probably a disgruntled Vikings fan or something now, trying to get rid of tickets like that too, right? So, um, uh, that's funny. You know, you laugh at that. And um, there's also uh, something sad about that, because, I mean, as much as I'm sure that was meant in jest, uh, there, there is a a sense in our culture today that marriage isn't really that big a deal. You know, that that can be disposable, that uh, Super Bowl, Trump's wife getting married. I mean, those kind of things uh, are, are common today. In fact, you look at how men and women in general today are respecting or honoring or showing dignity, deference to each other. It's just, I, as far as I can remember, at an all-time low in our country, something is clearly broken, not just in our view of marriage, but in our view of sexuality, our view of gender and how the genders are all relating to each other. So, um, but what's awesome about Jesus is uh, he, when asked very difficult questions, didn't dodge them. In fact, what I love about Jesus when you, and there's a lot of things I love about Jesus, but one is when he was put under the spotlight and when he would, his enemies would try to trip him up, he always got out of it in such a profound way and not just got out of it, but he would tend to rise to the surface what the real issue is. And you're going to see that in today's passage. Uh, it's, it's a tricky one to preach, I'll be honest with you. Lori usually reads through my messages the night before. <laughs> I forget her comment last night. It's like, I, I, I kind of need some work. I love you, but that, that one still needs some work. So here we are. Um, but in just a short 35 minutes or so, divorce, marriage, gender, I mean, there's a lot of topics here. And what I want to do is um, just get the whole passage in front of us this morning. I want to read uh, to you. It'll be up on the screen, but let me just read it. You guys follow along. Or if you have a Bible or you want to go to your phone app. So Mark chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. We're just following along in the Gospel of Mark. And this is the next passage that we're preaching on. So uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. So let me read it. Uh, and he left there, and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and, in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, Well, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, 
and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray. And I would like you to pray first. And could you pray that God would speak to you this morning? And to me, what is surfacing as the greatest issue is uh, the issue of a hardened heart. And so this morning, and again, divorce, remarriage, they may not be issues in your life right now, but all of us have hearts that can go hard. So could you ask God to speak to you this morning and show you if your heart has grown hard. And then could you pray for me to be clear and to be bold and to speak uh, God's truth uh, with grace? Jesus, you're amazing. You're astonishing. That's why we're here to sing to you, to worship you. God, thank you for the Praises I heard from your people. It just fired me up this morning. Thank you for that. And Jesus, thank you that you're a Savior worthy of our praise. So would you uh, open our eyes and help us understand uh, this teaching that you give us today. In your great name we pray. Amen. All right. So um, this, um, we're in Mark chapter 10. Uh, what we've seen so far is that in the last half of the book of Mark, Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem. He's moving to his arrest, his trial his crucifixion, and then resurrection. And he's been telling his disciples that, but he's on a mission now, and that's where he's heading. And as he's heading to Jerusalem, some crowds begin to gather around him, as has happened earlier in the Gospel of Mark. But what's significant here is the region where Jesus is in. It was described as the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Why that's significant is that right now Jesus is traveling through the area where John the Baptist used to do his ministry. And so, in fact, um, there, there's a lot of connection here between John the Baptist and Jesus and their ministry. This area was ruled by King Herod, and it was Herod who arrested John the Baptist, and then it was Herod who ultimately had John the Baptist beheaded. And so Jesus is, in a sense, in, you could call it hostile territory, all right? And so the big issue that got John the Baptist in trouble was when he spoke the truth about what God thinks about divorce. Because Herod had remarried his brother's wife. Her name was Herodias. Herod was kind of interested in John the Baptist. Like, he was curious about the things that he taught. But Herodias hated John the Baptist because he made such a big deal about Herod's remarriage to her. And so it was actually her influence that ended up getting John the Baptist beheaded, okay? So Jesus is in that same territory. We know from throughout the Gospel of Mark, the Pharisees hate Jesus. In fact, a key clue to our text is back in chapter 3 in Mark, very early in Jesus' ministry, it says that the Herodians and the Pharisees conspired together to kill Jesus. You didn't have to have a secret memo revealed to understand that these guys hated Jesus and they were going to do whatever they could to kill him. And so I think this is their ploy. 
They're asking Jesus in a very public setting, what do you think about divorce? Because they knew Jesus, John the Baptist were tight. They assumed Jesus would say the same thing as John the Baptist. And so their plan was arrest Jesus, behead him, and to Jesus, right? So that's what's going on. So if you sense a tone in this passage where Jesus is being direct and blunt, he knows what they're doing. I mean, even the gospel writer said, Mark said that they were testing him. This was not an honest question. They were testing Jesus. And so his answer to them, I just, I love to see Jesus in these moments where his enemies are trying to trip him up. He thinks of the most profound things. It's kind of like he's God or something. So um, it says that he answered them and he said, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. It's interesting, like Jesus uh, asked the scholars, like a brilliant move here, instead of Jesus going first and giving his answer, he let them go first. He revealed where their hearts were, what their answer was to the question of divorce. Is it okay to be divorced? And he, he just asked them, and it, these guys were scholars, like these guys were known to know what Moses taught, to know what the, the Old Testament taught. And so Jesus said, well, where in the Old Testament would you go to answer that question? And where they went, you guys, was a passage that I just find incredibly sad. It's Deuteronomy 24, and I'm just going to read it to you just so you catch the flavor of the passage they went to to answer this question. So Deuteronomy 24, it says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it on her head and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then the former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife. Wow, that's a, that's a sad passage. You're not going to see many precious moments, posters of Deuteronomy 24, 1-4, hanging in a children's bedroom. Like, that's, that's brutal. Like, that's where you're going to go to answer a question about divorce. And actually, to explain what's going on here, by no means is Deuteronomy 24 uh, like a, a mandate from God. Like this isn't, you're going to see later, this isn't God's grand design, his glorious design. If anything, this passage was damage control. Divorce was already happening. Women were being mistreated. Women were just being, for no reason, kicked out of marriages. And in that day, in that culture, there was no safety net. Like these women were left fully at the discretion. Many of them would go into abject poverty and so, or just then fall into a cycle of being misused by man after man. And when Moses saw that going among God's people, he then stepped in with these concepts of a certificate of divorce and of not being able to, I mean, that whole sick scenario that's laid out there was not God's original intent. That's not God's original design. And yet that's where the Pharisees went to answer the question. And so in Jesus, and it's interesting, verse five says that Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Isn't the language interesting there? Like Moses wrote about 1300 years earlier. So you would have expected Jesus to say, because of their hardness of heart, uh, that's why Moses had to write that. No, he, he clumped them in with it. Because of your hardness of heart, Deuteronomy 24 had to be written. Wow, like he's, 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 Jesus isn't afraid to speak truth and he's doing it right here. Like the real issue here, you guys, is that your hearts are hard. 
hardened hearts look at something beautiful and something glorious that God has done, and they ignore it, they reject it, or they replace it with their own plans and their own pleasures. And that's exactly what's going on here, because when Jesus answers the question, he goes to a completely different passage altogether. Let me just pause and say something. I think the reason this is especially heartbreaking is that uh, there's such a flippant attitude towards divorce. In fact, the Pharisees in Jesus' day, most of them fell into a very liberal view of, of divorce and marriage. That There were th- different writings, three examples um, by scholars in that day. Um, one was, uh, if, a man, if, a, if a wife um, burned the meal, a husband could leave her or, or send her out. Or if he found someone fairer to him than her, he could send her out. Or even one writer said, if your wife chooses not to go in the direction that you want to go, you can cut her off. It's such a flippant view of marriage and a flippant view of, of women. And Jesus spoke strongly against that. And in fact, in this whole topic of divorce, in Malachi chapter 3, God makes it clear that he hates divorce. And I need to clarify that for a second, because I know in this room, um, that's falling on a lot of different ears. There are people, there's a lot of people here that divorce is in your story, either as a child or as an adult child of parents. You've seen, some of you have seen your parents divorce. Some of you have walked that path yourself. Um, And in both of those scenarios, did a lot of reading this week, some talking to people who have been through that in all those scenarios. And that is an incredibly painful, shameful Um, destructive event in our lives. So when God says, I hate divorce, that's what he hates. He hates what it does to his kids. You've got to be clear in this, that um, God doesn't hate divorced people. He hates divorce. In fact, if you want me to prove that, or a good illustration of that is Jesus. In John chapter 4, he went out of his way not just in the, the route he traveled and in the social customs he kind of set aside to spend time in a conversation with a woman who had been married five times. And while they were talking, Jesus knew that she was actually living with a guy. So number six, if you want to count him. And Jesus showed her astonishing compassion and love, and he changed her life. Like he, he introduced her to a whole new way of living. He he granted her, I believe, eternal life. So much so that she went back to the village and all the people that used to shun her and make fun of her, she couldn't stop talking about how awesome Jesus is. So if you have any doubt this morning about if you have walked that journey of divorce, like what does God think about me? That's that's our exhibit A, is that uh, Jesus would go out of his way to have a conversation with you and to remind you of how much you are loved by him and how he can give you eternal life through the gospel, okay? Can we get that clear today? So, but on the same hand, like, uh, we, can't, we can't just brush divorce aside. It's oh, not that big a deal. That's, that's what the Pharisees were doing. That's a sign of a hardened heart. And so uh, it is so important for us, too, that if we have walked through divorce, the divorce of our parents, to realize there's some pain and hurt that comes with that, and we've got to acknowledge that. We'll address that later. So, But it's because God hates divorce that Jesus just couldn't leave their answer hanging. He had to come back with another answer. 
And what's so awesome about Jesus' answer is it's another teaching of Moses. And these guys, these guys were scholars. They knew the Torah. They knew the first five books of the Bible. There were places they could have gone to answer that question. They chose, Moses said we could get divorced, so we're getting, I mean, they chose the, mm, there's a better one, you guys. And so Jesus took them right to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Those are, he just direct quotes from those two chapters. Therefore, I'm sorry, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So here's our problem. Like we read those verses and a lot of times they are so familiar to us. Like some of you, how many weddings have you been to? Like you, you hear these verses just kind of flippantly tossed out there. And I think we need to slow down and just think for a second. Like we're talking about God here. And when God makes something, it is astonishingly brilliant and glorious. I mean, you think about the galaxies, that God has made, that our scientists are still trying to get their heads around, like how vast is this creation that God has made? Or as our technology allows us to get smaller and smaller and smaller, and we're seeing DNA strands and quarks and all this, just astonished at the order of God's creation, both on the big scale and the small scale. God makes glorious things. And in the creation story in Genesis 1, at the crescendo of God's creation is when he created male and female in his image. And then God said his creation was very good. Now I'm going to sound like a homer here, but like we are, are the pinnacle of God's creation. Like we're astonishing, okay? And I'm just, I'm not saying that because I'm one of, I'm, you, know, you, you hear what I'm saying? Like this is a truth in the scripture that out of all that God made, men and women bearing the image of God is the most astonishing thing about all of God's creation. It was after the creation of male and female in God's image that God said, this is very good, all right? So I mean, if you just start there, and guys, you apply that to our culture today, what if men and women treated each other with the honor and dignity and respect and the awe of being created in the image of God, being image bearers of God? Just think of the, the solutions to so many of our problems that would just simply come from just seeing ourselves as God has made us and to be in awe. Like, I mean, seriously, turn to the person next to you and just say, you're astonishing. Okay, you are astonishing. Go ahead. Just say that because it's true. You're astonishing. You have been created by an astonishing God. You bear his image. You're astonishing. Okay? So he goes there. So, I mean, that's such a no-brainer. Then Deuteronomy 24 is just sick. You don't just kick a woman out of a house, out of a house, out of a house. She is an image bearer of God. You treat her with honor and with dignity because it's amazing what God has done in creating her, right? So then, then Jesus took us to Genesis 2 where he described the first marriage. And so just like the creation of man and woman is the crescendo of chapter 1, the crescendo of chapter 2 is the creation of the first marriage. Because in Genesis 2.18, everything is, is just rolling fine. Everything is good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Then things come to a screeching halt where God looks at something in his creation and says, that's not good. Like I could imagine like the angels and everybody's like, what, what, newsflash. Like God sees something that's not good. And what God saw was not good was that man was alone. He created Adam first, remember? Then he said, I can do better than that. Then he created Eve, remember? No, it's like, that's not what happened. <laughs> so that's not what happened. So, no. He created Adam first and revealed to Adam his need, that there was no one like him. There was no one 
that he could commune with or have a close, intimate relationship with. I mean, he was naming monkeys and dogs and cats and everybody. It just wasn't happening. So God saw that need. And the whole story of how God provided marriage says so many things about God. Just like God is glorious when he creates his creation, God was astonishingly glorious when he created marriage. I mean, just think about the things that that communicates to us about God. He sees our need and he moves toward us in our moment of need. And so, um, I mean, when Adam was realizing, hey, I need something here, like, and you, uh, you know, sometimes you'll know a single guy that wants to date and says, oh, I just can't meet anybody. There's no women there. The only guy that could really say that was Adam. Like, there really were, there really were no women there, right? So he's the only one I'm going to give a pass to on that one. So, like, he was legit. And God, it didn't bother God that there wasn't one. He just made one, right? So you see God provide for Adam's greatest need. And as you go on, you see the description that the two will become one flesh. That's the only relationship in the Bible described that way. Like God is doing a glorious work in marriage, showing that he's a provider, showing that he cares about intimacy, showing that he cares that two can become one. And as you're going to see later, this whole work that he's doing in a marriage, is actually pointing to a far more glorious, the most glorious thing that he has ever done. So some of us this morning have hard hearts, and that some of us this morning are married, and we're not even coming close to seeing our marriage in the way that it is intended to be seen. as such a glorious gift. Marriages can so easily drift into roommates, teammates, just kind of cranking through the day, cranking through the life, and just losing the awe of what God has done in the work between a husband and a wife. See, those, those were the deeper issues that Jesus was looking for. He said, your hearts are hard because you've totally missed the picture on who God is because he's done a glorious work in creating men and women, so we treat each other with astonishing respect and dignity because of who made us. And then if that man or woman happens to get married, they are stepping into an astonishingly glorious, beautiful work that God has done. So as far as we know, the, disciples, or the Pharisees don't say anything. Like that, that often happens. Like they'll come out with their questions and Jesus just, boom, answers. And they go, okay, we're done. And they just kind of walk away. I think that's what happened here. Like what, what are they going to say? So... But the disciples come back, as they often do. They get that privilege to have kind of like the post-game time with Jesus. And so verse 10, it says, And in the house, the disciples asked Jesus again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her, divorces her husband and marries adultery. So once again, it wasn't like behind the scenes, Jesus is going to say, well, you know, it's kind of being strict on those guys. Like Jesus kind of, again, holds up a high view of marriage and a high view of women, that you don't just kick a woman out of a house and just kind of go on to the next one and the next one and the next one. Jesus just reinforces what he had just said. So I need to pause here for a second because our main task this morning is to look at what Mark 10, 1 to 12 teaches. We're teaching through the gospel of Mark. But I do need to pause because when you do talk about a, a, a subject as... Um, as, um, it's a word, hard, um, as divorce. Um, that's a legit question that some people might have this morning. Like, what does God think about divorce? And so 
when you answer that question, what does the Bible teach about divorce? A good method, a good way to approach that is to take all the passages and lay them side by side. And in, and in this situation, you'll find that there are a couple passages where, where Jesus, again, I think you need to honor the context here. He is speaking to some very hard-hearted people who have such a flippant view of marriage, and Jesus just came out strong with them. There are a couple places in, in um, the Bible, just to be clear, in Matthew chapter 5 and in Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus is teaching, one of them is in the Sermon on the Mount, um, where Jesus mentions, a, a, some people call it the exception clause, where he'll say, except for sexual immorality, where he talks about is, when is divorce allowed in the case of sexual immorality. And so it doesn't say that, se- that divorce has to happen, but in some cases, uh, a marriage could be so shot through with the pain and hurt of sexual sin that that, that marriage needs to, needs to dissolve. Again, I'm, there's no way Jesus is saying, yep, automatic, as soon as there's a sin, done. You know, he's not going there. But he is acknowledging, you know, that if there are some, some scenarios where a marriage has been so damaged by the sexual infidelity of one or the other, then that was a case where he allowed for divorce. Another one is um, when Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7, and he talked about a scenario where a believing uh, a believer is in a marriage with a non-believer, and that non-believer decides to walk away. Some people refer to that as abandonment, like when one of the spouses abandons the marriage. And so in that case, a divorce is allowed. Um, again, I have a short time this morning. This is a topic that I would encourage you to, to read Scripture, to look at what Scripture teaches. Um, and in a question like this, you know, we'll say, why didn't Jesus unpack those exceptions here? Uh, I can't I can't answer that directly, although I do know uh, that Jesus was speaking in this situation to these people who needed to have their hardened hearts revealed. And so, um, but at the same time, Jesus has deep authority for all of Scripture, for all of God's Word. So there's not a contradiction here. There's a, there's a place in our study where you lay aside all the Scripture and you let the Scripture speak in one voice. And that's what you do on that topic. And so, um, but Jesus is clearly speaking against that flippant, hard-hearted attitude of the disciples, and that's what's going on, or I'm sorry, the Pharisees, and that's what's going on here. And so, uh, if you are in the, I, I would just say a couple things. Um, if you are in a marriage right now, and you're in the weeds, and it's hard, sometimes that alternative of divorce looks so easy and so simple. And um, there's an interesting study that came out not long ago that those couples, because I would say every, there's, first, there's not a perfect marriage in this room. And I'll put myself first. Our marriage is not perfect, all right? So if you think you're the only one with problems, it's not true, okay? So, um, but there have been so many marriages that I have seen that are on the cusp of, boy, this is really hard, who then, though, with God's help and walking through it, have a stronger marriage today than they did. And there's some statistics that show that. It's like 70, 80% of couples that were on the brink of divorce that instead choose to work through that five years later, describe their marriage as in a stronger place than it was um, back before the conflict. So there are powerful things. We also need to say this, by no means does God command a woman uh, or a man to remain in a abusive and very violent or verbally abusive relationship. I think that would fall under the category of abandonment, that that man or that woman in that marriage who's gone to the level of abuse has fully abandoned their commitment to you. Again, this is a topic we could go on and on, but to be uh, true to this passage, I just want to hit a couple more 
things here. And then I just have a few pastoral things I want to share with you. I want to answer this question. Why is marriage such a big deal to God? Why, why is marriage such a big deal to God? It's, um, I'm going to say this. Marriage is a, a glimpse. And I said this earlier. It's a glimpse of a greater relationship. It's a, it's a glimpse of a greater marriage. In fact, if you look throughout the Bible, the Bible is really the story of a marriage. It starts in Genesis 2 with the first marriage between man and woman, but it ends in Revelation 19 with the marriage of Jesus being called the groom who is coming back for his bride. And his bride is the church or people, men and women who have given their life to him, who have followed Jesus as their savior. There's a wedding feast approaching for all of us that have faith in Jesus Christ. And so the Bible is really a narrative of God's pursuit of his people. And in Ephesians 5, it's the longest passage in the New Testament that talks about marriage. Paul is writing that, and he refers to the same verse that Jesus referred to back in Genesis, when he says this, Therefore a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So, so here's the deal. Remember in this whole conversation in Mark 10, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to give his life for us, for sinful men and women like us on the cross so that he can offer us eternal life, so that he could be our groom and offer us an eternal love relationship with him that lasts forever. That's where he's headed. And that's why marriage is such a big deal because every time a Christian man and woman pledge their vows to each other, they are in a small way pointing this world to the greater covenant love between God and his people, God and his sinful people that was all pulled off by the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so what Christians are called to do in their marriage is to honor marriage and to see marriage as this astonishing gift from God. And then empowered by the gospel, loved by Jesus, then we are able to show that kind of self-sacrificial love to our spouses, which is astonishing to this world. What? How can a man and a woman love each other so much. Men and women are so different. They have so many different you know, views. Or you know, Just how could that happen? How could two become one? It's a picture of the gospel. It's a, it only happens to becoming one. This one flesh relationship is a supernatural thing that is birthed by God through the gospel. I love this quote from Tim Keller. The book is called The Meaning of Marriage. And he says this, when Jesus looked down from the cross, he didn't think, I'm giving myself to you because you are so attractive to me. No, he was in agony and he looked down at us and there we were, denying him, abandoning him, and betraying him. And in the greatest act of love in history, he stayed on the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He loved us, not because we were lovely to him, but to make us lovely. And that is why in marriage, I am going to love my spouse. So when you see a man and woman sacrificially laying down their lives for each other in the context of a marriage, you are putting on display. It's just a cool thing to think about. The marriages in here scattering throughout Iowa City, Coralville, North Liberty, in this next week, as you pursue and love and sacrifice for each other, you are making statements all over this region about a far greater love and a far greater marriage that you have found in Jesus Christ. It's awesome. So, um, so what do we do with this? We do. Let me go pastoral on us for a little bit. Uh, I want us to be clear this morning that God loves hardened hearts. Every one of us in this room 
Uh, remember, a hardened heart looks at what God has done and disrespects it or thinks I can do better or I don't need that or I'm going to please myself in my own way. We have all done that. But God still moves toward us in love. Listen to his heart in Isaiah 54 where he says, Your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the mountains may depart and the hills be moved. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Number one for every one of us in this room this morning is to realize that the gospel proves that you have a God who loves you, who has compassion on you, and who, he's just saying here, hey, the mountains may depart, the hills may be removed. That's a pretty big deal if the mountains are suddenly gone off this planet. Something big has happened, right? So, but even if that happens, God says, my love for you will not be removed. I am steadfast in my love for you. He is the Lord of hosts, the eternal God, is loving you for all of eternity with his love. And so we need to understand that, that we have a God who is offering us that love through Jesus Christ. So step one for all of us is to receive that love through Jesus Christ. If you're married and your marriage is struggling, you're married and uh, you're single, you've walked through a divorce, like the, the equalizer in this room is that we all need the love of God shown through Jesus Christ. So your first step today to walk through the hurt and healing needed from a divorce, uh, your hope today to see your marriage really grow is to make sure that God is the center of your life and that you have a relationship with him. That's your first step is to receive his gift. And I don't know what you're waiting for if you're waiting. I had a, uh, love this guy. I had a great conversation Friday and we both got honest on that. The guy wasn't sure he wanted to, to accept Jesus yet. And it's like, you know, that's fine. I don't want to push you, but like, what are you waiting for? Like, what, 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 what are you hoping will happen next that will show you you need this? And, and is it worth waiting? Like, is it worth another year of you with your family and you not really having the love of God in your life? Is it really worth another year? You're single, you're walking through the pain of a divorce. Is it really worth trying to wing that on your own for another year when the God of the universe is offering to come and embrace you in his love and walk through you? That's square one for all of us. And be careful because our hearts can grow hard. I don't need God. I got this. <laughs> Those are the dumbest things we say. Um, we need him and we need his love. So that's your first step. Let me just say a few, um, a few thoughts here, just pastorally. Let me talk... Let me talk to married couples. Let me just ask, honestly, um, are, are you looking at your marriage as a glorious creation that God has given you? When's the last time you looked at your, your husband or your wife and just seen her with those eyes? That this man, this woman has been given to you by God. And God, God knows what he's doing. And God's an amazing creator. God makes beautiful things. When's the last time you've seen your marriage in that light? And uh, the key is, um, I would imagine that a majority of marriages in this room uh, would, would describe themselves as just kind of cruising and coasting. Um, you can't do that, okay? We have hardened hearts. And so what, what Jesus would offer in, instead is that let's not see this marriage just coast. Let's see this marriage take off. Let's see this marriage just incrementally keep getting stronger and stronger. So if I run into you in 10 years, how's your marriage? I mean, it is, it's awesome. It just keeps getting better. Like, that's what I want to hear, right? So how's that happen? That's not going to happen by winging it. That's not going to happen by trying harder. Um, that's only going to happen by husband and wife putting Jesus Christ first in their lives, putting him first. There's an amazing statistic. You, you know this one. Like, roughly half of our marriages end up in divorce. 
Um, here's a, a staggering one, that 99% of marriages that pray together consistently stay together. Stinking 99%. Here's, so in light of that, listen to this one. How many Christian couples regularly pray together? It's like 8%. Like, hello. Like, so let's put Jesus at the center of this thing. And I was talking to a guy this week, like, man, I just can't pray with my wife. And I know, I know there's a lot about that that feels awkward for a man. Like you feel like you're being vulnerable or you feel like you're being weak or kind of stupid or you don't know it's going to sound. It's not going to sound as good as some of the pastors at Parkview. Like I got to make it sound awesome. It's like I just try to tell guys, guys, listen, the most beautiful thing, the most beautiful gift you give to your wife is that you are following Jesus Christ. Because without that, you're hopeless. You're not going to be the husband she needs. You're not going to be able to love her and forgive her and be patient with her. You're going to be a jerk. Like, I'm a jerk when I'm not tracking with Jesus. I say stupid things. I don't treat Lori right. I, I know what it looks like when it's just Doug going for it. But when Jesus is in control of Doug, when Jesus is at the center of our marriage, that's when our marriage starts growing. So I don't care what it sounds like, guys. Start praying with your wives. Like, you may feel like Mickey Mouse saying a prayer. Like, it's a, the words aren't coming out. You know what? I don't care. Because what she's going to hear is the heart of a man that's acknowledging, I don't have this. I need Jesus. Jesus, I need you. And please, if you wonder what God's going to think about your prayers, it's not going to be a, doggone, it's about time I heard from you. Where have you been? Like, it's not going to be that tone. It's going to be more of if you've ever had kids before and your little kid starts saying his first words, man, you are taping that. You're sending that everywhere. It's going viral in your family. Like you are so thrilled. You know, you're just, you love that. If your first prayers are, like he doesn't care. He just loves to hear you. So your wife will love it. God will love it. Like what are you stinking waiting for? Okay. So let's talk if you need help with that. But, but get God in your marriage. Okay. And keep him at the center. That's a no brainer. And then just keep working on your marriage. Guys, don't coast. Like one, one challenge uh, is to be a PhD in your wife. Like, be the world's expert on her. Keep pursuing her. Keep trying to understand who she is in greater and greater ways. We did a marriage conference last weekend, and, um, and when we do these conferences, we always have take-home packets. And these are filled with, like, worksheets and conversations you can have, articles you can read. And so we do have some more of these packets that were left from the conference on the Parkview Connect counter. Or tomorrow morning, we're going to send an email out churchwide that'll have a link to a PDF version of this. But use things like this to get, get yourselves talking about your marriage. Keep growing your marriage, okay? So can you tell I missed the marriage conference last week? I love those things. And I got sick, and other guys had to step in and speak. I didn't get to speak at it this year. So I got a lot of marriage talk in me this morning. And I just want to bless you guys, and I want to help you guys just grow strong. Marriage is so important. Um, there's a family life conference coming up in Des Moines. Those are good if you ever get away to one of those. Alex and Kelly are in our church. I think they're here. Stand up, Alex Kelly. Where are you? Yep, there they are. They're teaching a class on love and respect. Um, these guys have had an amazing work in their marriage, not to put you on the spotlight, but they'll tell you about it, so give it up for Alex and Kelly. But there's a class they're teaching. Okay, you can sit down now. It's good. <laughs> I'm glad you're awake, Kelly. She says my <laughs> inside joke. She says my, well, she's an administrator here, so... Um, so you can take that class, um, do the packet, that kind of thing. But keep growing your marriage. Keep pursuing your marriage, you guys. Okay, so um, now let me talk to anyone here. Uh, let me just talk about divorce. Uh, let me talk as a pastor about divorce. So I know there's some of you here that you have walked through the divorce of your parents. And that, for, again, from what I've heard this week, what I've read this week, 
is incredibly, and, and sometimes what it does to you, what it did to you can be downplayed, maybe out of, I, for a variety of reasons. Uh, it's not that they'll be okay. You know, that's the common line you hear. For a lot of you guys, that was not okay. That was an incredibly hard time in your life. It's like an F5 tornado just running right through your life when you saw mom and dad go through that. You need to understand that you have a God who saw that too. He's the God that saw a need and meets a need. And so um, there could be some bitterness from that. There could be some um, anxiety from what you walked through. Um, not able to trust. Trust factors. All kinds of factors could be there. That, that none of what you're going through is beyond the reach of the gospel to bring hope and healing into your life. So my encouragement to you is in fresh ways, move toward God, move toward the gospel with things and talk about these, get these things out, okay? So now if you walked through a divorce personally, again, same things that I've read, just the devastation, the hurt, the shame, the guilt, um, the, how awkward it can be to try to re-enter your life. Again, um, there are a lot of places you can go with that. You can go to guilt bunkers and shame bunkers. You just need to understand um, that God walks with you, that God is compassionate. We've seen that this morning. Jesus' compassion for the woman who had been married and divorced five times. So that's Jesus' posture to you. My encouragement is lean in towards him. And I want us to be a church where if you are divorced, the arms are open wide here because God's arms are open wide for you. And so I do not want hard hearts in this church where you look around and because somebody's divorced, you feel like there's an A team, B team around here. That's not the case. If there was A team, B team, we'd be on the C team, guys. We wouldn't even be on B team, okay? We need the grace of God and we need to be a church. Those arms are open. And so that, that's what you'll experience with Jesus and that's my prayer is what you'll experience with us. If you are walking through divorce, uh, you've been divorced, um, don't go to those guilt and shame bunkers. Let the gospel bring hope and healing into your life. And let me say something to some single folks here. Like you've been sitting through a, marriage, a whole talk on marriage and stuff. It's like, this is brutal. Like, when's this going to be over? So let me say a couple of things. Um, if you're single and waiting to be married, um, you're longing for a very good thing. And this is a beautiful gift that, that God has designed. But um, there are there's some people that my wife and I care deeply about that for some reason they have not gotten married. God has, seems like God has not provided that yet. And that, that causes us hurt, and I know there can be hurt in that. My, my encouragement is uh, to not give up hope on God, that God is walking with you, that he is still our rock and refuge. But if you ask me why he has not provided for you yet, I do not know. I, I cannot give an answer for that. But I do know, um, I do know that um, when Jesus walked on this planet, um, out of all the scenarios he could have walked uh, he walked as a single man. He never got married. He never had sex. I don't know if he had a girlfriend. I don't know any of that part, but he just never got married, never had sex. And yet he was the most influential person that ever walked in this planet. And he modeled for us um, a life that was fully devoted to his father and his father's plan. And so um, if there's any hope from that, I, I, was, I, was in, I was 30 when I got married, so like um, I didn't walk a long time in that, but there were times in that where it felt long. My little brother got married before me. Like a lot of my friends, a lot of my friends got married before me. And so those years, though, I look back as being really just key years in my life where in those times where it could have been filled with a marriage or family, um, God called me to deeper places with him, and God freed me to, to have the flexibility to serve and to, and to share the gospel with others. And I see that 
on such powerful display in our church. So many of you who are not married are just, instead of sitting home moping about that, are just moving forward as, as Jesus did and laying down your life for so many. That is an awesome, awesome picture. Um, but I encourage you, don't, don't give up on God. Don't, don't go for plan B. Don't, um, you know, God's plan would be that you stay abstinent um, sexually until he provides. And then in the context of marriage, you have sex, but, um, but you don't do what the world's telling you to do. Just go do your own thing. Um, don't do that. God, God's plan is far, far greater for you. So follow the plan of God. Um, let me pray. Let me pray for us. I'm going to read that verse again from Isaiah 54. For the mountains made apart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Today, Lord, you reminded us of your glory, the majesty of your creation, and that includes us, that we were uniquely created in your image, male and female, loved by you. And that love then frees us to sacrificially love our wives, or it frees us to maximize and cling to you in our singleness. And God, as a church family, may we extend the hope and healing power of your gospel to each other, to our neighbors, and to the world as we cling to the ultimate marriage that we've been invited into, the marriage of Jesus Christ and his eternal love for us. You're awesome, God. Thank you. Comfort your people today. Strengthen your people today. Help us put your glory on display by the way we love each other this week. In your great name we pray. Amen.